Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip Washington Jr. tackles questions such as, is there anything I should do financially to prepare for the coronavirus? Should I get more aggressive on my investments to catch up? Should I liquidate my 401k? And should I invest in airline or oil stocks since they have dropped so much? With the answers, here's Philip Washington Jr. That's actually a a very courageous way of thinking. I like the thought process behind that question. It shows that you're willing to get in there and buy when there's blood in the streets, which is the right thing to do. But I would think about it a little differently because on a previous episode, I talked about how the market gives a lot of information because a lot of smart people crunching numbers, figuring out prices. And so even though the market is will overreact in the short term when there's uncertainty because people just don't know and you got the cyclical effect of panic selling plus deleveraging from people that borrow too much money to invest, it still provides a lot of good information. And and so what I mean is if you look at when the market is panicking selling, you got things that drop a lot because when there's panic selling, everything's dropping, but you have things that drop a lot and then you have things that drop, but not as much as everything else. And and the information that, that I take from that is that's the stuff that is more interesting. Things that are dropping a lot, the market is saying, hey, we are panic selling, but this is the trashiest of it. For 12 months now, I've been telling a lot of clients who work at tech startups or executives at tech companies with some that had, you know, that were publicly traded shares to reduce some of their exposure to that stock because the market had already been disciplining what I call trash companies or companies that like aren't making money, don't have a solid monopoly with basically terrible fundamentals, um, which is a a screen that I use whenever I'm selecting stocks. And so it'll screen out companies like Tesla or some of the beloved companies that people love, but it screens out companies that just don't have great financials. And so I've been talking about doing that specifically for a time like this, because in in a time like this, those companies and along with, you know, the airlines and the oil companies are getting smashed. And what that's telling you is the market saying, man, we don't want super risky trash companies. On the reverse, you have companies that are holding up pretty strong. So, so, you know, if you look at, for example, Amazon, Google, Facebook, relative to the market, they're holding up decent, the tech uh, software ETF, Vanguard has one, which is, you know, VGT. There's BlackRock has one as well. Those are holding up relatively well. You know, others, and, and these are not recommendations. I'm just giving you ideas. You might look at utilities, which are holding up uh, relatively well. The gold ETF is holding up relatively well. U.S. large cap ETFs are holding up relatively well. And so you'll look at that, and those are stocks, ETFs that are more interesting to me than the things that have dropped a lot. Because historically, and I've done the research, when you look at big sell-offs and then once the pressure leaves, the things that drop the most are the things that pop back up and recover a lot quicker. A good analogy might be if you have a, um, this is a terrible analogy actually, but it may make a little sense. But if you have a big hurricane coming through the structures that are the most solid aren't going to get blown away as much, right? And so the companies that are more solid or the better companies are the ones that the market's going to sell off the least. So just food for thought, uh, not a recommendation, just letting you know how I'm thinking about it, what I'm looking at, and what other uh, portfolio managers um, are looking at as well. So the straight answer is 
Oil company stocks and travel airline stocks are dropping a lot, so they're not anything that I'm looking to invest in aggressively at the moment. Next question. Should I liquidate my 401k? This is a question that I'm getting a lot too. And the answer is no, right? The answer is no. I've talked in a previous episode, one of the best investments, I believe, people who are not active portfolio managers and don't want to do that um, should invest in is a target date retirement fund, which gives them a well-diversified portfolio. You know, you do it from a reputable company that's been doing it for years and you have a great solution for your 401k. And some people might misunderstand when I say no. They may say, well, Philip, are you not doing anything? Are you just sitting on your fingers? No, I'm actually like actively rebalancing portfolios for my clients. I'm cutting out a weak investments. So going back to what I was saying before, things that are you know not holding up well, getting rid of, and I'm adding to things that are performing better, right? We also... There'll be some trades that go through the day where I've uh, lightened up on some stocks of the bunch because I don't, you know, I, I like to be diversified and there's not a lot of things that are holding up strong. So that means I'm carrying a bit more cash and short-term bonds than than normal, waiting for things to start performing better. But the reason why I say to people in general is just stick with what they got in Target Day Fund is because un- unless you have my process and my process is pretty detailed and you're just liquidating your 401k and going to cash just because I say so today what's what's not going to happen is that I'm rotating into other positions that become available you know which can happen tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now you're not going to know and you're going to miss a lot of money and, and my belief is you'll have a way better result if you just stick with the plan you got and add money to it because that plan will work too you you don't have to be tactical like I like I'm doing you know I do think over time I wouldn't be doing tactical stuff that I didn't think it would add to the returns that we get over time, right? And we'll we'll see how that actually plays out. But if you're going to have to do that, you're going to end up, in my opinion, probably in a worse result than if you had just stuck with your target date fund and not managed it tactically. So it's kind of saying, hey, just pick a strategy. Either you're going to be passive and buy the target date fund, or you're going to be really active and do all the work that that comes with being really active, which is a lot of hours a day, a lot of hours a week. And it's expensive because you got to have all the uh, screening software and stuff that saves a lot of time. So that's my thought there. If you have a good 401k investment strategy, stick with it, add to it. And what I'm telling everybody, uh, if that is the case, then I, if you can, if you can afford to, especially with the money that we're going to be saving on oil uh, and going out, not as much entertainment, like increase the amount of money you're putting into your investments over the next few months. And history says that you will be extremely happy about that three, four, five, six, seven years from now. So just my two cents on that. Next question. I'm late to the party, Philip. How do I catch up? That's a, that's actually like a real question. That is a that is a real question. It's, it's, it's something about, I heard a phrase that said, Youth is wasted on the youth. And so, you know, being in this business, I've, I've, I've learned to appreciate that saying. What the saying is saying is, as you mature more and see more and have more experience in life, you're like, man, I wish I would have done better if I would have known this 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's not that you didn't know. Most 20-year-olds know they should be saving and investing, but they let other things get in the way of it. But if I could take a 45-year-old's mind and time travel them back to 25 and have them slap themselves around and get them to invest, I'm, I'm sure they will. 
my great aunt used to always say, it is what it is, right? So if you're 45 or 52 or whatever you feel is late, then you you want to deal with what you have. So you want to say, okay, let me not beat myself up over the past. Let me get an assessment of where I am now. So how much do I have saved now? How much can I save? Where can I cut expenses to save more potentially? What does my social security look like? Get an assessment of your current resources and then create a plan. Because the good news is 50-year-olds are a lot younger than 50-year-olds were when I was, you know, 15 years old, or which means it's super reasonable. And I don't even think it's a bad thing that people are going to be working to 70, even some 75, because people are, are more active and or uh, work at 70 and be able to live on less. And so, and the, and the other cool thing is the one thing that I know a lot of people late to the party get right is a lot of them own homes which is a good thing. And so I encourage them to just become unemotional about a home, meaning if you can get comfortable with the idea of your home equity being a part of your strategy, whether it be you selling a home or selling a home and downsizing, maybe even renting and or doing a reverse mortgage, you got lots of opportunities, right? It's And, and the opportunities are, are, are dependent on the person I'm talking to, but I, I one person we did the math and we're like, hey, when you're 70, you'll have a few hundred thousand in equity on your home that can be used as a reverse mortgage or you can sell it and use that as income. You also, along the way, depending on income, debt to income ratio, can think about as the amount of your home debt goes down, being able to acquire some rental properties, right? Because you know you can only buy so much home based on your income. But as you pay down your debt on your home, now the banks will give you more money for rental properties, and you could think about, you know, whether it makes sense to do that because that can, especially if you can buy right, can give you some extra income for retirement in addition to saving in retirement plans and and those other factors. But the point is, and I've started rambling a bit, but the point is, if you're late to the game. The beauty is there's all kinds of solutions to make it work. The thing, though, is you got to get serious. Like you, know, you have no more room to not get serious. Anybody who I'm talking to is them like, look, we can do it, but you got to be, it's going to be tough. You got to make some tough emotional decisions, whether it's cutting expenses, whether it's rethinking your housing. You definitely got to save and invest more. And if you can combine all those together and do them right, along with investing with a good process unemotionally, I mean, I ha- I have yet to run into somebody who's late to the game who has not been able to create some sort of comfortable retirement plan, right? So um, that's just my two cents on that. And and by the way, let me let me clarify. If you're 64 and you want to retire by 65, there's nothing I can, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I can't turn water into wine. So let me clear that up. Next question. Should I get more aggressive with my investments to catch up? So I understand the thought process. A lot of people that are trying to close the gap on their investing, they want to get more aggressive to potentially close the gap. The problem is that is rarely a good idea because in in order to determine how aggressive you should be, you really have two big factors. How much time do you have until your desired goal and then what's your risk tolerance? And putting those two together will be what you need to use to become more aggressive. And those of you who've listened to multiple episodes, you'll find out I say the same thing, sayings over again, over and over again. But I always say everybody has a plan 
you know, till you get punched in the face, punched in the mouth. And and this applies here because it's fine to want to be more aggressive, but if it's outside of your risk tolerance or your time frame, it's not very wise because we're an example right now where I'm calming the fears of my clients who are who consider themselves aggressive with a lot of time that are just nervous and wanting to abandon the strategy. And I'm having to remind them. And for those, if you're listening, you know, like I have an email list. I wrote a book. All my clients have my book. They're on my email list. I have a podcast that I put out. I do videos all the time. And I'm talking to my clients and doing any reviews. And I say the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm still having my some aggressive clients say, hey, should I liquidate my 401k? Should I go to cash? Should I do this? I empathize with them and we talk and I address their fears, but they already know what I'm going to say because I say the same thing over and over again. They just need reassurance. But my point is, that's why I don't think it's a good idea to be more aggressive than what you should be because it's easy to be more aggressive when everything is going well, but everything doesn't always go well in the market. And and all it takes is for you to get scared out of your plan one time for that to throw off your return. And you would have very likely been better sticking with a more conservative strategy that you wouldn't freak out on in this time of panic. I look at my portfolio. My portfolio is what I would consider very aggressive. I don't have any clients in my portfolio. And my portfolio throughout this period of time has been getting just smashed. There's parts of it that actually have made money. That's a whole side note. But the total portfolio has gotten like smashed. But I'm fine because it's within my risk tolerance of what I'm doing. But the clients that said they wanted that because it was it was doing great up until this they, they might have said, oh, yeah, that's what I want. But I'm like, no, nah, because this portfolio, like coronavirus or not, it's going to get smashed every 12 to 18 months like that, just in general. Most people couldn't handle that. I can. But that's why I say, hey, don't try to be more aggressive to make up return. Last question. Is there anything I should do to financially prepare for the coronavirus? And, and let me give some context into this question, because if, if I'm not at all an expert, you know, at all. But I've been doing a lot of statistical research, right? It's funny because virus outbreaks and stock market panic, like the charts and the movements are very similar, you know, because health pandemics are susceptible to what we call black swans, right? Big numbers that you can't really quantify and are open-ended as far as infections. Just like stock market crashes just come out of nowhere, right? The charts and the statistics looks very, very similar, and so over the week, I've been looking at the numbers in China because they are, um, you know, a month or so ahead of us. And so you see the chart of how it exponentially went up in the beginning and and then started leveling out and then, you know, started dropping, uh, which is in a, it's in a drop phase. And then you look at, all right, who, you know, where was the next big outbreak in Italy? And so they're still kind of in the exponential period of increasing. And then it's uh, slowing down, but it's still in the exponential up phase. It's not at all leveling out. And so we're behind. So you just know America, like the infections are just going to go up, right? We haven't even really been testing heavily, which is I'm not going to get into politics. So it's going to get worse from an infection standpoint here before it gets better, even though to give you know America credit, we have acted more aggressively, more decisively to shut people down and lock things down than China. But you just expect it to get worse because it's still in the beginning. So where am I going with that? If you look at the chart in the math, we're looking at kind of a two-month period of time before we potentially get to the leveling off uh, phase, uh, which which that very which that means maybe you know more quarantine, more lockdown. Hopefully, the grocery store chaos goes crazy. But financially, what you want to do is take advantage of some of the savings. So, and I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, 
my gas bill is four or five hundred bucks a month, so that's going down. So that's money you can save. You think about eating out and entertainment, right? They haven't shut down the restaurants in Texas yet, but they have in you know New York and other places. So maybe that'll happen. So even though you'll buy groceries, if you're not overbuying like these crazy people or <laughs> you know, and crazy people. I'm not saying crazy people are people that are being prepared. I'm talking about the ones that are like three baskets. You know, Steve and I, who who owns Podcast Mansfield, one of the best editors in DFW. Side note, we were talking about people who have four baskets of water, just being greedy. So long as you're not being them, your grocery bill won't be super high, and that means you'll have some savings. So I would say just be wise, stack up the savings, buy smart, eat smart. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world, but take advantage of this period of time to just stack up some money, right, and build some cash. So make it a positive. You know, don't frivolously waste this opportunity to not stack up money. And then when we're out of here in a couple of months, then know the importance of, I think it was some something people said, most people don't have $400 in savings, which is like crazy. But use this as a catalyst to say, right now, I know why it's important to have a good cash reserve. I know why it's important to keep my debt low, right? I know why it's important to maybe have a side extra income. And I think this will help wake people up to that. But take out, you know, save money, use it as an opportunity because it's a great opportunity. And on the side note, I know here's another good thing. This is something I was randomly thinking last night when I was going to bed. You know, I don't sell life insurance, but it's a good part of a financial plan. And so I'd been on the phone with my inch, with my travel. We we booked the trip to go out of town in May. And so I was looking at the travel insurance thing that I bought, seeing like what were my clauses for canceling or whatever. And I realized, man, I can't just like cancel the flight because I don't want to go until they make the exception, like the airline company, but the policy won't pay for it because there's an exclusion for pandemics. And it's crazy. Like I, I didn't know. And so in your life insurance, there are also exclusions for like times of war uh, and other things where they don't have to pay. Um, I haven't looked at life insurance for pandemics, but but my point in that is most people think, oh, life insurance is life insurance is life insurance. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? You don't want to buy the cheapest life insurance. And I'm, I'm not going more, but I'm just saying I like to always think about worst case scenario, like be a pessimist when I'm planning and then an optimist for the rest of the time if I got the plan right. And so I was thinking, man, life insurance companies that I have have a history of paying claims even when they didn't have to, right? The bulk of my life insurance is with companies that do that. And that's it, it made the price not important to me to know that, hey, like God forbid something does happen, which I don't think it will because you look at the stats and the math, like you go, man, like that's that's peace of mind. And, and, and my point in saying this was peace of mind, right? If you've done a good planning, if you've done planning right, this period of time also gives me a lot of peace of mind. Like we got a lot of uh, ducks in a row. I know a lot of y'all probably do too. And so that's good. But I hope the positive out of this is that you save some money and then you think about preparing for the future uh, more seriously. So next time, you know, hopefully we don't deal with this for another 50, 100 years. But if we do something like this, that's crazy. You can have the peace of mind, at least financially. Another thing, this is just a side note, like I need to learn how to like hunt and fish. I was thinking if stuff gets really bad, I'm going to have to get in the Cedar Hill National Park and go hunt me some wild hogs. And I have no clue like what to do. I'm going to be out there just <laughs> hurting myself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm signing off now. Hope y'all enjoy y'all's day. Hey, hey.
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.